Most of the male runners figured if any woman wants to run 26 miles in a driving rain, let her run. But veteran Boston trainer Jock Semple thought the whole thing was silly. No, there's enough competition for women. What the heck? Why did they want to tackle the, the, the toughest thing in the world? It's just the women and their stubbornness just want to do something that they're not supposed to do. That's all there is to it. You know that. You're married. That was 50 years ago. In the time since, women have made remarkable progress towards equality in sport. Today, 40% of all athletes are women, and yet women still receive less than 4% of media coverage. The Iron Woman podcast wants to help change that. We interview female professional athletes and other remarkable women making breakthroughs in endurance, sport, and research. So that when I grow up, I will have heroes. I'm Alyssa Gadeski. I'm Haley Chura. And I'm Rosalie. And you're listening to the Iron Women Podcast. Haley, do you know what our most popular Iron Women episode has been so far? I do, Alyssa, because you know I love the numbers, and it goes back to fall of 2017 when we interviewed exercise physiologist Stacey Sims. You're right, and do you know what Stacey Sims has been up to these days? I've heard she's working with Noon Hydration to help formulate some products that have the female endurance athlete in mind. Noon Hydration products have clean quality ingredients and are also non-GMO project verified, which means top quality ingredients for your body and the planet. Noon Hydration offers a range of hydration products for all your workout and recovery needs. My personal favorite is Noon Sport Fruit Punch flavor. What's yours, Alyssa? I like the Noon Sport in the grape flavor and our listeners can go to noonlife.com and shop with a 30% off code of IRONWOMEN to find out their favorite flavor. And don't forget to let us know. That's noonlife.com with the code IRONWOMEN for 30% off. And now, the ladies you've been waiting for, Alyssa Gadeski and Haley Chura. Bye for now. Haley, how are you doing this week? Are you all rested and recovered from your big win? Hey, Alyssa, I'm actually, I'm feeling pretty good. Like I'm actually pretty happy with how my body has come around. I think it helps that we've had like 40 degree sunny days here in Bozeman. And there is something about that vitamin D that really does make you feel better. And it's just that like energy in the air that spring is coming warmer temperatures are coming like those awesome days out on the bike those trail runs they're coming and I'm getting a little bit excited about that how about you have you recovered how how'd your legs feel um coming out of that like I know I talked to you like only a couple days after the race but sometimes those races take a couple days to like sink in yeah I could tell that like there was definitely just fatigue in general and I definitely spent a lot of time like more time than I normally need just sleeping and letting myself recover in that sense. But overall, like nothing lasting or anything out of the ordinary that I wouldn't expect. So I'm really excited about that, but we definitely, you know, have, are going to take our time. I'm saying our, like my coach Hillary Biscay and I were like taking our time planning my recovery here. And I'm not actually planning to race triathlon until June Haley. So I just have you know, a little bit of recovery time. I'm going to be able to get back in the saddle. I'm doing a swim meet in a couple of weeks. And then I have like Tucson camp that I'm going to, to coach there and stuff. So I have things lined up, but nothing like no, you know, triathlon races that I need to be super primed for coming up. So I definitely, my point being, I have a little bit of a cushion to really make sure I'm recovered. Cause it was, when I started adding it up, I was like, wow, that was over 150 miles of racing in five weeks. I feel, you know, I feel great if you think about it that way, but then you just like, I mean, I'm not going to be stupid and just be like, Oh, that didn't have any effect on my body. Like, of course it had an effect on my body. So I'm going to take my time and enjoy it. And actually my sister and her husband came to visit this last weekend. And so I, I don't know if you do this too. Maybe this is like all of us triathletes do it. So you look at your event calendar and you plan out like, your races and you kind of know that afterwards you get a little bit of a cushion usually for like some recovery period. And that is when I'm like, okay, let's do the family visits. Let's do like, go see the friends I haven't seen in a while. Let's like 
get in some of these things that, you know, typically I wouldn't be like, Hey sister, come visit. Oh, but I'm going to go on a six hour bike ride. She'd be like, yeah, 0% chance I'm coming and do <laughs> during that weekend. So it's nice to have a couple like lighter weekends where they could come visit. And then my mom's coming this weekend. So a lot of family time. Nice. I think that is a very smart move taking some time off after that. Cause it's just, you want to make sure you you stay healthy. Right. And I think sometimes like I've fallen in that gap, you know, that pit before where you feel okay, but then it's like your immune system is kind of still compromised and you get back into it. And then all of a sudden you're sick and you have to take like even more time off. So I think that's super smart and hopefully it kind of mentally refreshes you as well. Like you said, spending some time with the family, like doing something different. And eventually it comes back around where you're like, Oh my gosh, I want to go out on a bike ride. And then like, imagine the weather in Virginia is getting pretty good too. So you get to like really enjoy those like really nice spring days when you're like, Oh, I can't wait to be out for six hours. And, and June might feel like it's far away, but I feel like it really isn't that far away. So I think it's going to come up here faster than we expect. Yeah. Time's definitely going to fly, but spring has sprung in Virginia as well. It's like, like you said, it's, I'm a morning worker outer. So I actually, I always cringe a little bit of daylight savings because I do like that daylight in the morning. I'm a big fan of, of that for just like getting up and getting started with the day. But there is something to be said for like my evening dog walks now and still having some light at that time. Like it does, it makes me like really excited for the warmer temperatures in summer. And it's like, now I'm only wearing a sweatshirt instead of like a big puffy coat with, <laughs> with scarves and mittens. Right. So that's good. And Haley, we actually have a spring contest coming up. Um, that our listeners can get excited for, you know, we're just going to do a little teaser here. It's going to happen in April, which, you know, if June's not that far, then April is like literally right around the corner. That's right. Our partners at Zelio Skincare are, um, they're, they're partner of the podcast and we are big fans of their products. So stay tuned for that. But in the meantime, if you, if you can't wait, I highly, highly recommend going to teamzelios.com and using our code iron women for 20% off because I just got back from Bariloche from racing in Argentina. And I took the travel pack with me, which is, is a fantastic, they have these like little, I think they're like three ounce, you know, two or three ounce bottles of shampoo, conditioner, body wash. And then they have a little like thing of a couple things of sunscreen. So you just buy this one little package and you have all these mini, um, shampoos and everything, which was perfect. I was gone for, I was there for like four days, which is a typical kind of race duration for me. And it was nice to have like your own shampoo and conditioner. Cause when you're going to a foreign country or even when you're going in the U S and staying at a hotel, sometimes there's something nice about having that, like the smell of like this, your shampoo, right? But you don't want to bring your whole entire bottle. And the nice thing about the Zelios ones also is that if you get like a big bottle of shampoo, then you can refill them and you can keep reusing the, the smaller size travel pack. So I highly, highly recommend the uh, Zelios travel packs. If anyone has any upcoming travel you for your camp, maybe for your camp, Alyssa. Well, that's perfect. And you know, Haley, what's the verdict on their sun barrier? <laughs> Did it protect? I mean, we all saw the pictures of you that, you know, you weren't, going the route of like covering yourself up from the sun. Right. So did the sun barrier keep you protected? That is a great question. So I, if anyone did not see the pictures from Bariloche 70.3, I did opt to run in a sports bra and short shorts only because I was terribly worried about the 75 degree heat. Um, I'm coming from Bozeman. It was 25 below when I left Bozeman. So 75 was a big jump, not to mention that my skin has not seen the light of day in months. So I was, uh, running, running on the transparent scale there for my, you could almost see my bodily organs, um, just because my foreskin hasn't seen the sun, you know, seen the light of day. And I was a little bit nervous about getting a really bad sunburn. So I did use, I used the Zelio sun barrier, which is SPF 45 sunscreen. And I can report that it worked really good. I probably could have done a little bit better on application in some areas. That was a user error. That's one downside of traveling solo, but I don't have any burns. I got some nice tan lines on my legs because I, I honestly, do you put sunscreen on your legs usually when you're racing? Not when I'm racing. I will in training because like for a long ride day, if the sun's beating on your one side or something like in Tucson, oh. I always, I've learned in camp because like the sun often hits you just from one direct side. And so you'll literally burn your left calf or something like that. So that, but in a race, 
I really, you know, maybe I, I don't know, maybe we should, but I I usually don't. Well, I don't usually either because I feel like my legs are usually kind of shaded by like my, my gut. I don't know. (laughs) But, um, or my shoulders, like usually it's my shoulders and my back and my face. Like that's where I focus the application. So I didn't really put any on my legs, but the plus side is I got some like tan lines and everyone in Bozeman is like, where have you been? And I get to tell them the story of my race. So that's kind of fun. So, but, uh, yeah, so maybe PSA there for your first race of the season. If you have not been outside, put it on every inch of your body (laughs) during your race and then go afterwards and get your vitamin D, you know, when it's like, when you're only going to be out there for 10 minutes, but if you're going to be out there for more than four hours, use the Zelios sun barrier. Well, Haley, I, we will move on. We skipped mailbag last weekend, but we want to get back into those. And just a reminder, so our listeners can always send us mailbag questions to ironwomenpodcast at gmail.com. Sometimes though, we, we ask you guys questions and we need the responses. And so I actually asked you guys three weeks ago, two weeks ago, I guess, when I had come back from Spain and I had mentioned that one of the more confusing things that threw me for a loop while I was out there was the European greeting where you kiss on one cheek or two cheeks sometimes. And I was curious about if I'm actually supposed to be kissing someone or just like pretending to kiss someone and no one had written in yet. And then Haley, we finally got an answer and I am so, so excited that Ooh, let's Cecil, hear it. I'd like to yes. know this one. Cause in Argentina, I did do a couple cheek kisses. I think it was only one side I can't remember, but I didn't really throw me for a loop. I just kind of was like, okay, this is how we do it. But I'm glad we're getting an answer for you. Well, now this is the official Iron Women answer. So there is no specific answer as with so many things (laughs) in life. However, because it varies from region to region, but she says overall, you start on the left. So your right cheek to right cheek. And for someone that you don't know, it's cheek to cheek. If you know the person lips to cheek. And then she said... What if, you know, what if you know the person and you also know that they don't shower very often? <laughs> You're in for it. You got to you gotta go do it. In the Basque region where I was, it was one on each side, but that number also does vary from area to area. She also noted that you it's not like an obligation, but it's friendly sign and they're trying to make me feel welcome. So Cecile, thank you so much. And she also mentioned she's going to do a race where she needs poles running polls in 2020. And she says she needs to, to learn them and get some, but Cecile, once you get them learning the, to how to run with polls is like, I was going to say like riding a bike, but it's actually way easier than riding a bike. So (laughs) that'll be no, no big thing for you. We're excited to hear how that race goes in 2020. And thank you so much for answering my question. I really thought this one was going to linger for a while. I've never run with poles before, so may I need to try it one of these days though. Cause I give it to like, it's the equivalent of the wetsuit, right? Like oh. it's that much of an advantage. Wow. I think if you use them. Yeah. Interesting. That's crazy. So. That's cool. I'm going to have to try doing maybe someday in my retirement, I will uh, do a racer or else I'm going to do like the local 5k and I'm just going to use poles. <laughs> There's definitely like a regional thing and like a, like Americans have a stigma against them and are kind of like, Oh, the European, they call them like Europe Euro sticks is like what they'll sometimes call them. They'll be like, Oh, you have the Euro sticks, you know, like as if it's like a bad thing. And I'm like, yes, I have them. And I'm going to go faster than you with them now. So, but if you do like some people are so uncoordinated, I guess on trails that it's like hopeless. So I will add that when I first started doing triathlon, some of my like pure swimming friends were like, if you're using a wetsuit, you're cheating. And I was like, but now I've done these races that are like in freezing cold water. And then also it is significantly faster. And I'm like, Oh no, I think if I just let everyone go ahead and get like two minutes on me, that would be stupid. And so I might not be a cheater, but I'd be kind of not smart. So of course use a wetsuit. So I think using poles is brilliant. Yes. No. And whatever people can use whatever they want. If it's getting them outside and getting them doing things right. Exactly. So we do have another a question, though, coming in from Stephanie. And so her question made me laugh a little bit. It's, do I have to let a strange dude ride my wheel if it's making me uncomfortable? Or is that just a cycling thing? And if she doesn't have to, how does she politely lose him? So in this instance, she kind of tells us that she was riding. This guy sat on her wheel and like wasn't going by her, wasn't kind of getting lost. So she sat up, slowed down, pretended like she needed to drink a lot of water. She's on a pedestrian trail. So like a bike trail, basically where there's kids around, there's like dogs, people walking, whatever. So he was super close. 
she had no idea who he was, but like she didn't have a lot of wiggle room because she was on this pedestrian trail. So I I don't encounter too many people (laughs) when I ride here. I can see how this is a problem if you're on like when I go to visit my parents, I have the bike trail and I can see how this could happen if you ride on one a lot. But around here, I rarely see people. Generally, if I see people, they're not going my direction or it's like or not your speed. Right. Or I was going like to say, I'm just too fast. Me up. <laughs> I don't have these and problems. And they're like, they're like, come ride with us. And I'm like, if I wanted to ride with you, I would have started with you from the beginning. So then they just like go on. So I guess in that instance, I take the, the route of like just slowing down and letting them go and then like going on my way. But I don't know. Have you had this happen? So I have a couple of experiences with this, but um, I have one like actually on a pedestrian trail, kind of similar or a bike trail and where you can't really get off. And it honestly is like one of the times that has kind of freaked me out on a bike. And it was like when I sped up, he sped up. When I slowed down, he slowed down. And we even came to a stop and he just stood next to me and like didn't talk to me. And it freaked me out enough that like I rode probably the fastest I still have ridden in my entire life back to my car, like, and tried to drop him. And I finally did drop him. So I, I, and I don't, so that doesn't help Stephanie at all. Like that example, I think if I would do things different now, I would like maybe talk to him, say like, Hey, like you're kind of on my wheel. Like, do you want to lead or, um, just like kind of make, even though it's awkward, but like pointed out that it kind of is bothering me. I can, I can relate a little bit. Cause I have like a, just a pet peeve. This is, you know, about people like walking too close behind me, like even on sidewalks or like in airports. And I do, I just pull over. Like I will, I'll, I don't, I don't care where I am. And I let them go for like a couple of minutes and then I keep walking. Cause I just can't stand it when people are walking really close behind me. So are you walking like slow when that happens or are you walking? I mean, maybe I am a slow walker. I don't know. Like I, <laughs> so I, I'm a very fast walker. And so I'm constantly like, especially at airports, it just makes me laugh when you say that. Cause I'm the person that's like, I'll like sit on someone's heels if there's nowhere, if they're like, especially also if they're not following the rules of the road, I feel like. And yeah, I'm de- all definitely. But I appreciate so it when they you've never me. had this problem. You're the guy behind <laughs> When they sense me and they pull over, I'm like, thank you. That was like super polite of you. And now I'm going to go on my way. So, okay. And I don't, I don't know. think that's a bad thing. Like, I don't think if you are riding and someone's on your wheel, like to pull over, like pull over and just like, pretend you're just going to say, you're like, I'm going to stop and like admire the scenery, takes a couple pictures and let them go. Cause sometimes if it is in your head that much, like you're just going to ruin your whole ride, having someone behind you. I have one other good story that this one is like one of the best stories of my life, my cycling life. But I was climbing this like giant hill outside of North Georgia. It's called Hogpen. It's the one I used to run up to, but it's one of my favorite climbs. It's crazy. And I was riding with these like two friends. And for some reason, like we decided to kind of race. So I kind of gapped them a little bit and I passed this guy on a road bike and he like hopped on my wheel. And it was like so annoying. Like he was like, it was like, I could, yeah, it was like what Stephanie was saying. Like I could like like feel his breath on me. And I was going like really hard, but I was like, okay, like I passed him. So he's going to blow up. Right. He's totally like, he can't do this. And I know this climb really well. So I kind of like, I was just, and I was like, I'm just going to go as hard as I can. So I just kept going really hard. And one of the guys behind me said that eventually like he just like popped off and then he like pulled over the side of the road and just hung his head. (laughs) (laughs) And he never rode his bicycle again. And so we have one left. Unless cyclists in the world. That's what I'm here for. But um it was crushing dreams. I can add that though, when I got to the top of that climb, it was like I it was one of the best climbs of my entire life. Like I just climbed so well. And there were these people that I knew at the top, just like randomly, these people were at like a camp and they were at the top. And I like went to say hi and I was like so frazzled that like I totally unclipped on the right and leaned to the left and fell over. That so that was my triumphant right finish. That's amazing. <laughs> but um, I don't know if that helps Stephanie at all, but I think no. maybe I share I your would pain. Try, I would try like sitting up and either just stopping if it's like at a point where you can stop for a few minutes or whatever and get water at a water fountain, something like that. Or I would, I would try. I mean, at the gap, they always told us like when people look sketchy, you got to like make eye contact and address them. And they told us that would keep them from shoplifting socks. So maybe it'll keep them from riding your wheel too. If you like address them and you just, they're like, and maybe it's like a fun person to ride with after all. And then you guys can like yeah. ride together more. Well, that is something I mean, I think 
if you are the person who who is behind, usually, I think it, the big thing is like, say hello, you know, when you come up on someone and ask like, hey, can I, do you want to ride together? Like, do you want to ride on each other's wheels? Because sometimes it is. You can meet people and you'll have fun or you have a good conversation for a little bit and then trade off like pace lining and, you know, tell them if you have like, hey, I have this workout. Do you want to do it with me? And maybe you'll make a new friend. So they're not always scary. Okay. Well, hopefully we helped a little bit and other mailbag questions. People can continue to send them into ironwomenpodcast at gmail.com. And we do have a fantastic interview for you guys this week. We are talking to the Australian triathlete, Sarah Crowley. Yes, Alyssa, we are talking to Sarah Crowley this week. And that should be a name most people know. She was she went on a tear in 2017, winning some of the biggest races. She won two regional championships in Cairns and Frankfurt and then finished or she won the ITU long distance world championship in Penticton, Canada, and then finished third in Kona. So that was all in 2017. In 2018, she had another fantastic year. She won her she won Ironman Hamburg, got sixth at Kona, and then also got her third regional championship title at Mar del Plata in Argentina. So she's here fresh off her win at Hell of the West Half Distance Triathlon, which happened in Australia just a couple weeks ago, to tell us about her 2019 plans and you know where, where she's headed this year. Coming up right after the break. Hey, Alyssa, have you ever come out of a race with a really bad sunburn? I sure have. My very first Kona, I'll never forget. It was awful. Well, I think I have a product for you. Zelio Sun Barrier SPF 45 is a zinc-based and water-resistant sunscreen. It's long-lasting, oil-free, and won't sting your eyes. I've used it, and it works great. I'll have to try it because I have heard that Zelio's products are designed and tested by champion triathletes like Heather Jackson, Lindsay Corbin, Jesse Thomas, and Rachel McBride. Wait, did you forget someone? Oh, that's right. And our very own Haley Chura. Well, Zelio's products are made with high quality and long lasting ingredients to stand the test of the hottest days, sweatiest training sessions, and toughest elements. They give athletes like us confidence and peace of mind to perform at our best without worrying about our skin or hair products. The products you won't want to train or compete without are the Sun Barrier SPF 45, the Twix chamois cream, swim and sport shower products, and the body lotion. You can use the code IRONWOMEN at teamzelios.com to get 20% off. Hey, Sarah, welcome to the Iron Women podcast. So awesome. Yeah, great to be here. Sorry. uh, Yeah, I haven't really uh, spoken to you guys too much over the past few years. So it's uh, good to finally get on the show. Well, we are very excited to have you. And we want to start with a congratulations on your big win at last weekend's Hell of the West Long Course Triathlon. Uh, You managed to set a course record en route to your sixth title at that race. And it sounds like it's a bit of a hometown favorite for you since it's just a few hours away from your current base in Brisbane, Australia. And I'm always curious to hear how Southern Hemisphere athletes plan their season. So we're kind of nearing the end of the triathlon season in Australia, but I assume you consider this the beginning of your season, which will go through the Northern Hemisphere summer, presumably culminating in racing the Ironman World Championships in Kona in October. So is it weird to have an off season during the summer? And are you ever tempted to just skip the break and keep on training? Oh, 100%. I think it's a a problem for a lot of athletes in Australia that they do kind of maybe not take the break as seriously as the the athletes that get the snow and things. But for me, I try and uh, spend the time going back and visiting clubs and stuff and and just having the time to see some friends and and that kind of thing. But it is very tempting because the weather is perfect. So for us, I mean, in terms of getting started with training, it's amazing because we can just start back and there's no worry about the weather or anything but yeah definitely tempting to to train through and also you have like a disjointed break where you're like tempted to have like a little race here or there and then it ends up being like a dragged out break um that often happens as well so yeah you've got to sit on your hands for a little while I think and but there's other things I mean obviously the Christmas breaks around that time so you can spend time with your family and and a lot of people have time off work as well so it's nice to catch up with people after a long year and, and what about this Hell of the West performance? Are you pretty pumped about that? I mean, to go even faster than you've ever gone before, does that give you kind of a, make you excited for the rest of the season? 
Yeah, like compared to last year, last year I kind of like pushed to get fit again because I felt like I had an expectation on myself after having such a good year in 17. But like uh, this year, it just it's just come to me. I've taken it easy and just let the fitness come. And I think just that little bit less stress and pressure on yourself, and it's just meant that I've been happier. And I think you recover a little bit better for that. And yeah, things have just gone quite well. And perhaps as well, I kind of got a big strength hit out of racing an extra Ironman last year and maybe the yeah the just a full four weeks break and I've just sort of recovered well from that and it, it's just meant that everything's come together really a lot quicker than we expected so yeah it's going to make it interesting the next few months because really I've only got I've got quite a bit of time still between now and when the season sort of really kicks off for us so I actually haven't met with my coach properly since that race obviously we train together every day but we haven't really spoken about what we're going to do differently in the next few weeks compared to what we had planned so there could be another race or two in there now that things are going so well and Sarah so for our listeners who might not be as familiar you had some early success in ITU draft legal racing going all the way back to 2008 and then you followed that up with solid results as you moved up to the 70.3 in Ironman distance in 2016 and you even finished 15th in Kona However, your biggest jump seemed to come in December 2016 at the Ironman 70.3 Middle East Championship in Bahrain in yeah. December 2016. So you won the race, beating mm-hmm. Emma Pallant, Caroline Steffen. Mm-hmm. Those are all, you know, quite strong names that our listeners will be familiar with. So while your win in Bahrain seemed to surprise a lot of people, was that a surprise to you? Or did you feel that, like, it was ready for the breakthrough? Well, So for a bit of history, I guess I did ITU and I was always a very strong runner. So I just never could make it at the the top level because I was so far behind in the swim. And then I kind of went back to work for about five or six years. And I I did actually win a half at Cairns or something in 2012. And so you literally Um, like went back to like office job work, right? Yeah, like corporate finance, (laughs) like Deloitte, like 80 hour weeks type work. But I still did triathlon on the side and I was kind of always asking my boss for like oh can I have an extra day here and there to go do these races in like Southeast Asia and stuff but I couldn't race much further around like I did Des Moines a couple of times and a few of those kind of races but I didn't I could only really do that once a year because of work commitments so I guess I spent quite a bit of time doing that and then maybe towards the end of 2015 I had some good results but they were quite frustrating results where I was like I got, I won an Australian championships in duathlon, but did terrible at Worlds. And then I tried to do an Ironman and I didn't do well in my first Ironman. Just like a whole heap of things that made me feel like I could give a lot more. And the key change that happened for me in 16 was with Cam is that his strength, he's a very good coach all around, but one thing that he has as a big strength is his, I guess, attention to detail and able to actually make modifications to swimming. And so we changed my swim stroke like dramatically and I think with swim changes, like I went so far backwards at the start of 16, but we could see progress through the year. So I guess to me, I mean, Hawaii in 16, 15th was okay, but I actually had had pneumonia leading into that. And um, I knew I actually had a lot better result in me, but I, it obviously you can only do your best when you have other limitations. And by, yeah, like a month or so later, we just did another swim block straight after um, Kona. And then we used the fitness from Kona into Bahrain. So for me, Bahrain was was like a where I actually got to maybe not use as much effort in the early parts of the race so I could actually capitalise on my good run. And then I learned how to win after that. And then it was like a drug. <laughs> Winning is like <laughs> it's something, you know, once you have understand racing and that, you can kind of find a way and a critical path in races to make this, that a possibility. Can you elaborate a little bit more on that for the, for our listeners, like learning how to win, right? So what are you like talking about kind of the tangibles Um, in that? I think it's having courage, like to, it's calming yourself down and seeing the critical path in the race and understanding racing well enough that you can actually take advantage, every advantage of what situation that you're in at each time in the race. So you can map out in your mind a few different possibilities for outcomes and, then I think a lot of my accounting maybe has come in, like my corporate background has helped me with that, like the strategy. But for me, I can kind of map out what can possibly happen and you can play the averages a little bit and then you know kind of where to use your effort. And um, I think for me it was like an epiphany on how that 
worked out. Like I actually executed a plan and it, it worked. And then from then on, it was like, well, we then acquired different plans. And, and for me, I had like quite a few different races over 17 and we were able to execute the plan in so many different ways, like wire to wire at Cairns or, you know, like Frankfurt chasing down Lucy on the run. Like there were different scenarios that played out during the year. But And you yeah, talk about like were- the kind of decisions and you're talking about things like, you know, being able to take a step back in the swim and see, okay, there's a break coming up. Like, do I go, do I sit in? Right. Same thing on the bike, that kind of thing. And so it sounds like you evolved in how you learned which decisions are like going to benefit you to be chasing people down. I mean, it helps that you're fitter, obviously working, not working anymore and being able to get a lot fitter as well is like obviously making big gains just from that. Plus also being near the front with the swim. So you do have a bit more control over what's going to happen. But then understanding your and respecting your opponents and, and knowing where their strengths are and, and how to capitalise on situations and make moments matter, I guess, that are critical. And I've also failed at that a couple of times in races. So it's you learn from those kind of mistakes when you lose concentration or whatever. I think those kind of having that like another I guess it's another level of thought process rather than just time trialing a triathlon is helped me I think in the past year or so especially last year where I was fighting all year I've had a, I had a stress fracture at the start of the year and to fight back and to still manage to win some races and, and have okay results following that was probably a lot due to just being patient and and understanding racing a bit bit better and using experience It's so cool to hear you talk about this. And I do want to kind of run through some of your accolades here, just in case our listeners aren't quite as familiar, but after that win in Bahrain, you were on a roll. You won two Ironman regional championship events on two different continents in Cairns and Frankfurt. And then you went on to win the ITU long distance world championship in Penticton. You finished on the podium in Kona with a third place finish. And I just, I mean, I know you'd mentioned the pneumonia, you know, you mentioned like that learning to race, but to give our listeners a little perspective, uh, I want to compare your Kona performances here. In 2016, you swam a 58-58, you biked a 5.13, and you ran a 3.24 marathon for a 9.42 full total time, and you finished 15th. Yeah. So in 2017, you swam a 53.07, biked a 4.57, and ran a very impressive 3.05 to hold off Heather Jackson and finish third in a total time of 9.01. And so obviously conditions can vary year to year. You mentioned the pneumonia before 2016, but dropping 40 minutes in just 12 months. I mean, that's so impressive. That wasn't surprising at all to you. No, not, not to me with the amount of training that we do. I, on top of all of that, I guess I had the experience in Jeju prior to Kona 2016 of watching the level that Danny was at and the level that she trains at, and then being able to take That's that away. Daniela Reef, Daniela Reef yeah. the champion in both 2016 and 2017 and 2018 exactly. <laughs> and 2015. Yeah. Just, but, okay. To see the level that she was training at and to know what's required is probably like one thing there that I took it away and it smacked me in the face. Like I thought I was a good runner. I know I'm a good runner. And then I was, she just towed me on the track and I sat down. I'm like, what do I need to do? Like I wasn't, if you look back, I probably dropped five to 10 kilos between 16 and 17, which made a big difference for running. I definitely got a lot stronger. I got hardened in the legs and I can tolerate quite a like significant amount of training without, I tend to be able to back up pretty well without like too much trouble. So I think just being able to harden my body to the training requirements of Ironman, I'll still, despite having done triathlon for 10 years, I guess I probably hadn't really done any Ironman stuff for 10, like I didn't do an Ironman until 10 years later. So it was kind of, I guess there's a combination of a lot of things. I think having a running background just helps regardless with, with triathlon, I think at the end of the day, like, you know, you've got an engine and then I guess changing the technique on the bike to being a lot stronger and stuff enabled the run a bit more and yeah just sort of I just put my head down for six months and really tried to apply the principles that I saw that Danny was doing in Jeju and and try and take advantage of that and drop some weight and get stronger and off a already good result in Bahrain it just sort of went ballistic after that altitude as well I guess we went to altitude twice and I respond really well to altitude so yeah it's like getting more professional is, is part of it I think yeah 
And Sarah, you talked a little bit about working with your coach on your swim, but dropping nearly six minutes off your Ironman swim split when you're already competing at a super high level is something that like everyone wants to do, yeah. right? So what Dude, are the specifics it's like that changed my life? Yeah. Like hundred percent changed my life. It's been like, oh yeah, your ITU can run fast, whatever, but then oh now you're actually at the front of the, the swim. It's been like not a lie, the hardest thing and the most one of the biggest achievements, life achievements that I've ever done because everyone tells you you can't swim and it's buried in my head. Like even now I struggle, like even at say at Hell of the West last week, we started with the men in the swim and I got dropped and I shouldn't be dropped. I swim with the guys, but in my mind, I need to get my head around the fact that now I can swim and just to feel confident because you keep getting told your whole life you can't swim and it's just taking a lot more time uh, I know I'm taking time off my swims and everything. And now I guess a bad swim for me now is what I thought was a good swim before, but I think there's still more in my swim. So yeah, it's got, that's a, like a thing that I need to get over, I guess, but it was such an effort. It's like totally different swim style, went so far backwards, had to just accept it. But I got to the point with it all that if I didn't improve, there was no point anyway. Like I would just be doing more of the same and getting a lot of fourth places at 70 points. Oh, I'd win races in Asia, but get fourth in big races and never be on the podium, I guess. And the difference has been the swim. So, yeah, it's changed everything. And also, I guess being at the front, you use less effort on the bike and you're in the group. So that changes the rest of the race. It's all consequential. consequential. So using less effort in the swim and then being at the front of the race and then, then you can run. Uh, whereas before it was like chase, 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 but you're still off the back and then you're not making any ground and you're working so hard. Yeah, it's just totally different dynamic for me now. And our listeners love to hear, you know, anything they might be able to incorporate. So is there like a specific drill or anything like that that has really stuck with you as you've improved your swim time? Or is it more time in the open water or anything like that that you can kind of pinpoint specifically has, has really helped? It's very difficult because the way we train for swimming is very individual. So like someone comes to our group and someone might need a different technique change to someone else. And several different athletes have very different like strokes and stuff. So like, uh, and also boys compared to girls train differently too. So swimming is like pretty hard, but I guess the, the trick I think for, if you're like beginner or if you're just intermediate or if you age group are trying, it's like, I know you're working hard at work and you're trying to balance your family. It's like get in the pool, make it enjoyable, chuck a pool boy in, put paddles on, make it fast, make yourself enjoy swimming because do as much freestyle as you can and enjoy it because if you're not in the pool, you're not going to get faster at swimming. And I think I had that problem. Like I was swimming like eight, nine Ks a week when I was working. I'd be doing 30 odd Ks now, but I wasn't even doing half of that as freestyle so how you ever expect to compete if you're actually just not conditioned to swimming so I think it you know it's it's such a little tiny thing to take away but if you can get in the pool more and do more freestyle and make it fun as that you will get in the pool then do that like because most people it's the swimmers the it's probably the inhibitor on people doing even starting triathlon I think the swim if you haven't been a natural swimmer or come from a swimming background definitely and Sarah, you mentioned the stress fracture in early 2018 that, you know, got you off to a rockier start. I think you missed Ironman cans defending your title there because of that injury. So do you know why that happened? Was it, you know, was it yeah. related to increased training or? Yeah. No, actually, uh, I crashed in Kona in 17 in October. And I remember getting like a pinching feeling in my SIJ like days after the race, but then you're so happy and you're going out partying and you're having your one party week for the whole year and you're enjoying yourself and you're like, oh, I didn't really take that as seriously. And then we went on to do Island House and I put on a bit of off-season weight and then we started back training and I hadn't addressed that my sacrum wasn't sort of sitting straight. And so I had this massive leg length discrepancy and it, it did not take very long. I mean, it was in combination with a few things. I was renovating at home, so I couldn't just go rest and sleep when I wanted to because there were workmen in our house. And so there was a few things that were causing, like, sort of, I guess, there's mental and physical stress. And in combination with, like, a biomechanical problem, it took three weeks and it was a shock to all of us. I mean, I had a 
physio treatment as soon as I felt pain. For about a week, we went really hard on treatment and actually the pain went away. So I actually raced Gunda Windy last year with the fracture and we only had the actual MRI on the Monday and we could not believe the size of the crack that was in my back because, yeah, it just pretty much, if you fall off your bike, and I think this is maybe why we're seeing a few sacral stress fractures is perhaps people aren't getting that checked, but definitely check that you're leg length is even and that you know you, you just make sure that your glutes are all working and everything else so yeah it definitely probably wasn't a I mean we upped the mileage but it wasn't significant it was just normal return to training from a break so yeah I think in my mind going forward and what we've done this year is yeah just I see a physio once a week and I see a masseuse once a week so I get treatment twice a week mostly just to check that and that it doesn't return obviously that something else could pop up but um that's kind of the takeaway we had was if you have an accident just double check that you're all in alignment and there's nothing weird going on and so you were in great form by the time Kona rolled around and while you finished sixth at the world championship we believe that you were the only person keeping pace with Daniela on her record smashing ride and we think you were right with her through that turnaround in Javi. Is that right? And uh, can you talk about like how the race yeah. played out compared to 2017? Yeah, like, I mean, I got out the water and I noticed that Danny wasn't there. So I was like, well, I'm getting away. I caught up to the group that was just ahead fairly quickly. And then I was like, we got to go. Like, she's going to come through. <laughs> it's like, that's pretty straightforward. Bike racing, let's go. Because... If I could get one of them, no one responded and came with me. But if there was someone that came with and then we had Lauren up the road, it would be like a group and then Danny would come through and it might actually help uh, to keep up with her. But you no know, one came, so then it was just me. And then Danny came past and I tried to keep up with her. And then one of those moments where I think it was kind of the whole year being so uh, difficult for me to try and get back to that fitness and that level in such a short amount of time, it was like you stopped you can only pull so many levers with your training. It's like, let's get stronger. If you get stronger, then you can't get, you can't get leaner because you're going to, you know, you need energy to get stronger. So it was like such a tiring effort for the year that that was one of those moments where I was like, I just had enough, like I couldn't fight. And I just lost concentration for like a short period of time. Whereas I should have, you know, you should have been on it because it was the turnaround. And then she just gunned it down Harvey and that was it. Game over, gone. See you later. Yeah, I think compared to like the year before where it was a little bit more, it was Annabelle was still there with us at Harvey the year before. Um, last year, I probably, in 17, I think I didn't have enough calories in that last 20 minutes and I just cooked it up a bit. Um, whereas this year, I just, yeah, I just didn't have it in that last, uh, just mentally just didn't, didn't have the fight for that last little, for that turn. So yeah, it's just one of those examples. I mean, I guess it's a, it shows the level that women's racing is coming to now, which is really cool that those things matter. Yeah, it's, it's actually very cool. And Sarah, your season didn't end in Kona and you went on to win your third Ironman regional championship title on a whole nother continent, this time at Ironman Mar del Plata in Argentina. Uh, the race actually made headlines as the first, because it was the first championship race under the new Kona slot allocation process for professionals. And there were 23 men and 15 women who started the race. And ultimately the four Kona slots went to the men and only two went to the female pros. We saw a lot of, you know, news and chatter about that coming out of the race. Was, was that a surprise to the women at the race? Yeah, it was. I think the day before the race, people were checking the numbers and we were counting who was there. And it was like, mm, there should be like more spots for the girls. Um, and then we sort of thought that. But then we weren't aware that we were sent an email maybe during the race that they'd allocated the slots um, after the start. So it's kind of, I guess that's something that's maybe that maybe needs to be thought about because I think people need to know before they actually start a race what's going on. I don't know. I went to that race. I didn't care about Kona slots. I just wanted to win the race. I actually wanted to show my form that I had that I didn't really feel like I, I didn't have my best day in Kona and I just wanted to show my form that I had in a race and I like racing against competitors. I feel like it brings the best out of my racing. So for me, I was excited to actually go see somewhere new and have a, and race hard. So I guess I wasn't kind of thinking about it, but I know that a few others were maybe their season was for them. I started the season later, obviously with my injury too. So I still had mental energy after Kona 
for racing. I felt, well, my body had the energy. And so I felt like I wanted to do it. Whereas maybe some of the others were dragging their year out a bit to get that kind of slot. So I think it would be more fair to tell us <laughs> before the start. Because I know a girl that got third, she raced like super. And yeah, I thought, no, she should, she should definitely have got a slot, but she didn't. So that's a little bit disappointing, I think, that someone could perform so well. And then you have a race... I think on the same weekend was Bustleton perhaps and they allocated two slots to that race and there was like five on the start list or something. So it's kind of a bit inconsistent. And Sarah, you recently announced your own YouTube channel, which you're producing with Steph Hansen of witsup.com. And why did you decide to go into the realm of YouTube video series and what can we expect to come from this during the season? Yeah, look, um, I mean, I've always done a little bit of YouTubing um, before, but then I realized the level is so bad of my videos. But um, so I wanted to work with Steph because Steph produces really good content and she makes me laugh. So she gets the best out of me. But mostly it's because I feel like I've always been pretty quiet and I think people maybe could see a bit more about me and understand a little bit more about my background. Um what we're trying to do, like the next one we're doing is actually on the Hills District. So a bit of an insight into who trains with the squad. Cam's going to talk to the camera for that. And yeah, to see where we train and, and a little bit more about us. And then we'll get into some deeper detail on on me and, and some of my thoughts and feelings as well, which I don't typically share. And I think some other athletes do it really well, and they, but I've always found it difficult. And I think working with Steph, I, I know her well that I feel comfortable in doing that. So yeah, I just thought it might be interesting for people to see and yeah, get a bit more of a bit more. I guess it's not, we're not intending to do it as like a, oh, here's a bit of training that I'm going to go do. It's more actually like a production where we're actually going to think about it as a series of videos that provide more background. So yeah, there'll be some fun stuff too, but yeah, it should be interesting. I, I'm looking forward to producing the next one. We're actually starting another one next week. So it's good. Cool. Well, we will look forward to watching those and you have announced some of your 2019 race plans and they include a return to Ironman can cans, sorry, yes. Yes. <laughs> in uh, June, <laughs> American, uh, for, uh, your first appearance at challenge Roth in July and yeah, a return to Kona in October. So mm -hmm. what made you decide on these races? Well, I guess I learned a little bit out of doing Ironman Argentina last year is like if you're really excited about doing a race, you may as well do it. So these are races that mean a lot to me and they're the ones that I'll form the other races around. Roth, I guess I'm just excited to try something new. I love racing in Germany. Uh, it's good for my, like oh, as a side thing, I'm learning German. So it's fun to kind of go to German speaking countries. We train in St. Moritz as well, which is in the German part of Switzerland, German speaking part. So yeah, like I'm, and I think Roth just looks really cool. So I'm excited to go there. Cairns means a lot to me. They give you a boomerang when you win. I've won the half and the full. And yeah, they kind of, a boomerang in Australia, it's like a piece of wood you throw and it returns. And that's the point. They want you to come back. And yeah, so to me, it's like the, the premier event in Australia. So I, I love going to Cairns. So I look forward to that. Yeah, so we'll fit other races around these. Obviously, Kona is the premier race of the year. And to be able to perform at Kona is like the, the big thing. So it's all timing to try and make yourself in the right form for, for Kona. I typically race well. A difficult lead-in was <laughs> like harder. I typically race well off another Ironman. So a couple of Ironmans early should get me in good shape and harden me up for, for Kona. And Sarah, you kind of have touched on through a few of your answers, kind of like the importance to you of racing relaxed and like now, you know, finding some races that get you excited and things that you want to go do. And has that process to like find kind of a happier place to race in been an evolution for you? And was it kind of, did you have like a, you know, a big moment where, you know, the, um, the road kind of split and you had to figure it out? Well, we've always raced for performance. Like it's, easy to race when people want you to race and that's become harder as things have gotten more complicated so initially we could do whatever we wanted and it was all for fun and it was all easier because you could carry your momentum through races and if you hit a purple patch you just keep racing if you suck you don't race that's one complication that's happened since you perform you then have to kind of stick to what you say you're going to do a bit more having said that we've just stripped it back to saying you know what these races are down there but if something goes wrong or if we're not informed 
it's your life. Like, you choose. So I think for me, these ones are the ones I obviously want to do. But, you know, if something goes wrong or changes, we have to change it. It's, like, for your own better good and it's hard as it is to not do it. Like, not doing cans last year, I could have done it. I would have performed. I probably wouldn't have won the race, but I would have performed enough. But then it wouldn't have been fair to me um, and possibly would have caused maybe more complications in my recovery and then you end up having a bad year and one thing leads to another and you have chronic injury so I think it's just being a bit more like I guess forgiving on on yourself and and just being a little bit more patient and if things aren't going your way then just actually taking them into consideration rather than just jumping at stuff and that used to be so easy to do but it is a lot harder now definitely well, Sarah, thank you so much for joining us and we'll be sure to link to your YouTube channel and your Instagram in our show notes. So our listeners can follow along with your incredible 2019 season. Best of luck. Awesome. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to come on the show. Um, yeah, I love what you guys are doing. It's good for the sport and I look forward to seeing you at a race sometime this year. Wahoo is dedicated to the journey of every athlete from a sprint to Ironman. Wahoo is with you every pedal stroke, every stride, and every trying moment with the commitment to make you better. As endurance athletes themselves, Wahoo provides an ecosystem of products, including Kicker Smart Trainers, Element Bike Computers, and Ticker Heart Rate Monitors to provide exactly what you need to reach the finish line and smash your training goals. Alyssa, I've actually had a chance to watch some of Sarah's YouTube uh, videos and they are very, very well done. So I definitely encourage any of our listeners, if you are, if you want to see a closer look at, you know, a top pros training regimen and where she is and pools and, you know, just the road she's riding on, definitely go check those out. Pretty cool. All right, Haley. Well, I think that is just about it for this week. And I'm going to let you go enjoy some of that Bozeman sunshine and, enjoy the spring weather this week. And I hope you're kind of getting back on the, the training bandwagon and ready to go crush more races very soon, hopefully. So absolutely. We'll and hopefully you get some time on your bike. Cause I think your bike has missed you. You got to get ready for that Tucson camp, but, um, anyway, have an excellent weekend and I'll chat with you next week, Alyssa. Bye Haley. Thanks for listening to this podcast. Please subscribe, like, and comment on iTunes. My favorite podcast hosts are Alyssa Gadeski and Haley Chura. My favorite editor is Aaron Hamilton. The Iron Women Podcast is a live feisty media production. We want to thank our sponsors and partners, Noon Hydration, Wahoo Fitness, Zelios, Fen Coffee, FTC Nutrition, and Smash Fest Queen.